Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. I'm your host, Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located over at 6169 North Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. Obviously, baseball is back. We've got some spring training games going on. But once the season starts and the weather gets a little bit nicer here in Chicago, make sure you head over to Coach's for a Sox game, a Cubs game, whatever the case may be. But make sure you get your Heine over to Coach's. We've got a really special episode today. We're excited to talk about some new changes in the game that will make baseball look just a little bit different. And here to break it all down with me, as always, is our AL expert, Robert Fiorante. Bob, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ed. Um, just before we get started here, I'd like to mention, I hope this is uh, my last podcast on here while you still uh, don't have a job. I hope that job comes around. You got some big things brewing, so good luck to you, and I hope that happens soon. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate that, and I uh, also want to throw a shout-out back your way. This is your first podcast at the new headquarters. Yes, it is, and it's exciting. I got a nice setup here, so let's roll. All right, we'll get right into it. So obviously baseball has changed the way it's looked a little bit over the last couple of seasons. Um, basically 2020 through now, we've seen a lot of different rule changes, and we're not even going to talk about the finances. Obviously contracts are larger than they've ever been. Um, the MLB has done things to try to stop tanking. They've introduced a draft lottery. They've made the um, salary thresholds and penalties both larger and higher. Um, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the things that make the game look different on the field. So now when we go back to 2020, obviously COVID was a big factor that implemented some of these changes, but um, one of which was pitchers having to face a minimum of three batters in an appearance or pitch to the end of a half inning. Um, we introduced the extra inning runner on second base automatically in the 10th inning. Seven inning double headers to speed up time and have less stress on pitchers. We had the universal designated hitter introduced in 2020, and the postseason expanded to 16 games. Now, some of those rules changed a little bit in 2021 and 2022 after the pandemic. Uh, we went back to the normal postseason, which was eight games, or eight teams, excuse me. Now it's 12 teams, not quite 16, but definitely more than before. Doubleheaders are back to their usual nine innings and, are, of course, much less frequent. The extra inning runner is still put on base automatically to start off extra innings on second base. So those are kind of the, the ones that were implemented then. And, of course, the universal designated hitter is league-wide now, starting in 2022, last season. Uh, but now in 2023, we've also got some new rules that are going to be changing things a little bit. But before we get into those, Bob, three batter minimum, extra inning runner on second base, universal designated hitter. What do you think of those? I don't mind the three batter minimum. Let's start there. Um, first and foremost, you know, I didn't I didn't hate the uh, the lefty specialist coming for one hitter. The Lugies? Yeah, that's more of a postseason thing for me, which I know you still need a three batter minimum. But I think as a major league reliever, I think it's a good thing to have in your repertoire that you can get three guys out. You can get guys out from either side. Um, so I, I don't mind that one. I, I, I guess I, I'll say I like that one. I wish they would have flip-flopped the other two, though. Um, like you said, they got rid of the seven-inning doubleheaders back to nine innings, and they kept the runner on second. I don't. I didn't mind the seven-inning doubleheaders. I thought they were kind of interesting. I thought they brought 
uh, the managers kind of to the front stage. When do you start using those high leverage guys? If you didn't use them in game one, uh, you could use them as early as the fourth inning. Um, you know, fourth inning, fifth inning, you get that setup guy hot, maybe get six outs or something like that, five outs. I didn't mind the seven inning doubleheaders. Um, I thought they were pretty interesting to watch. The free runner on second, though, I'm not a fan of, and I know they kept that one. Um, it's hard to get a runner in scoring position, especially against these high-leverage bullpens today. Um, you know, let's say your last out was a catcher. You have a backup catcher. You throw Billy Hamilton on second base. He's a threat out there, and it's a free threat. One ball in the dirt, one misstep anywhere. He's on third for free. Um, I don't love it. I would have I would have flip flopped that, but other than the, other than that, it's not you know going to affect me watching anything i i i love the sport and uh that's what they decided to do and and we live with it we go with it yeah i think that the three batter minimum i was kind of neither here nor there on it and honestly i kind of forgot it was implemented it it hasn't really been too much of a deal they still kind of bring in lefties to face lefties it's just they also have to get a righty out but at the end of the day i don't think that alters the game all too much um the extra inning runner on second base i'm not a fan of like you i understand you don't want to be playing 18, 19 inning games and then have to roll back out the next day and play. Um, but I also think, you know, a 0-0 game or a 1-1 game, you go into the extra innings and that's essentially a free run that these pitchers hadn't been giving up all game long. So I think what I would do to manipulate that one is maybe play a clean 10th and a clean 11th. And then once you get into like 12, 13, that's when you start the, the runner on second. Um or maybe 10th and 11th innings, you start him on first. Why does he have to be in scoring position? That's very altering to however the game was played. Yeah, I mean, you got a little bloop, and uh, and that's that. There's a run. And I remember the Sox announcers last year, all the time they would say, you know, if we were the home team in an extra inning game, they would say, and we gave up the guy on second, you know, he scored, they would say, that's the free one. You know, you expect to give that one up. I don't like that. I don't like expecting to give up a free run. Um, and I, I, I don't like it in the sense that I feel like it gives the road team an advantage. I mean, obviously, if you don't allow that run, the home team's at a huge advantage. But if you do, and then you come to bat, you're losing when you didn't really give up much. I just, I don't love the whole idea of it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, in terms of the postseason expansion, I thought 16 was a little bit too much. We had some teams below 500 squeaking into the playoffs. Um, but I always thought it should be higher than, than 10. So adding that extra wild card, I like that um, mm-hmm. to 12. That one I don't mind. The universal designated hitter, you know, there's some baseball purists out there that would still like to be seeing Jake Arietta and Madison Bumgarner and Adam Wainwright hit. But at the end of the day, that was a free out most of the time. And, and then it, it's more jobs for hitters. And at the end of the day, it was coming. It was either going to go all designated hitter or no designated hitter, and no DH was never going to happen. So that one I'm okay with too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's a really good point. You don't come to the ballpark to see a starting pitcher hit. Um, and for every Jack Arrieta, <clears throat> there was a guy that, that went up there with absolutely – I remember Chris Sale in the interleague games. My God, that guy had no interest in hitting. Um, he wanted to be far from the plate. So I, I like that one. Um and what was one you said before that? Oh, the, the expanded postseason. The reason I'm a fan of that one, especially, I'm a huge fan of that. First of all, you'll have more teams in around the deadline. That always makes things interesting. And second of all, baseball more than any other sport, your last wild card team in, your last team in, has a great shot of running the table. Um, 
literally anything can happen in October. We've seen it time and time again. Wild card teams get to the World Series all the time. All the time. You, you know, you got 16 teams in the NBA, and the eight seeds are never really a threat. I mean, it's it's rare that an eight seed wins a series, let alone makes like a deeper run than that. But baseball, I mean, you see five seeds. The Nationals did it uh, not too long ago. They won the World Series in 19 as a, as a wild card team. Um, so for something like that, I feel like the fringe teams, um, especially in like an AL East, I mean, you got that's loaded. So to be the last team in there, I think you're deserving um, as like the sixth seed this year. Yeah, I'm with you there. And we saw a lot of times just kind of the way the divisions were, were made up that, you know, you'd have a 95 win team that maybe might not even make the playoffs because of the way divisions were. I remember the Cubs in 2015 won 97 games and were the last seed into the playoffs. Like, th- that's something that uh, unfortunately happens with divisions sometimes, but at the end of the day, that extra team will keep more teams in it at the deadline, more teams with playoff hopes, which decreases tanking and should keep more exp- exciting baseball on the field. For sure, and, and decrease, yeah, tanking and in the same light decreases teams from just, like, shoveling off their best players because they're, like, around 500 let's make a push at the deadline um kind of a thing so i'm with you there yeah absolutely so now we go into 2023 we're in spring training both the Sox, your team and the cubs my team have played a fair share of games um i'd be remiss if i didn't touch briefly on the fact that say suzuki has a strained left oblique and he's going to miss the world baseball classic and his status for opening day is in question um we don't have to talk too much on that but For you Cubs fans listening, I would anticipate Trey Mancini will get a lot of innings out there in right field instead of uh, at designated hitter. Um, And Nelson Velasquez should make the team now. He was kind of on the bubble before, but he'll be that fourth outfielder now. And maybe if Suzuki's out a while, it opens up Brendan Davis or Pete Crow Armstrong to to squeak onto the team. But as it is right now, um, that's the update on Seiya Suzuki. Now into the rules for 2023. Um, First and foremost, the extra inning runner on second base is permanent now. It was uh, originally introduced during the COVID year of 2020, and I guess the MLB likes it a little bit more than Bob and I do. So that one is permanent. Now, the other three kind of weren't expected to be that big of a deal, but they've been a huge deal thus far. Bases have increased from 15 to 18 inches, probably the least of the three. Defensive shifts are banned, requiring each team to have all four infielders Cleats touch the dirt and two on each side of second base. And finally, a 15-second pitch clock will be introduced um, in between pitches. The batters must be set in the batter's box by eight seconds. Um, With runners on base, that extends to 20 seconds for the pitchers who might be trying to check runners and throw in pickoff attempts. They're only allowed two throwovers per batter, which also could spice things up on the base paths. But these are going to be pretty entertaining i think bob well here's the thing and i mean let's start with this there's a lot to talk about here <clears throat> but let's start with the throwovers so if you're allowed two throwovers you're really only allowed one throwover because if you throw over twice you can't throw over again which is which would lead to a free stolen base am, am i right there um there is one little bit of a gray area and it's the fact that after your two throwovers you could throw over again um if you record an out it does not count as a balk. But if the runner slides back safely, then it's a balk. So basically, if uh, if you're on first and I'm pitching and I throw over twice and then you take a massive lead 
and I throw over and you're out, you're out. Okay. But if you slide back safely, then you get second base free. That's wild. That is, I thought it would be at least three throwovers to give them two as like wiggle room, but but whatever. Um, the bigger bases, let's start there. That's that's a, the most the least controversial one. Um, I'm a fan of it because I remember. I, I'm sure you remember the Bryce Harper uh, hitting first base, and I mean that was slippery bases and whatnot. But the bases expanding, I I can't see too many people being that upset about. Um, it, I, I mean they did it for player safety. Um, my bigger concern, like I've seen a lot of White Sox and and people around the OB in general, I've seen a lot of White Sox pull hamstrings on the way to first base. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but the bases expanding themselves, I can't see as being too big of an issue. Um, I, in terms of player safety, I feel like it's 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 for the better in this way. Like you obviously you have more room to touch the bag, you have more room to run through the bag. Um, first baseman's got more room to stretch out and hopefully not get stepped on. Um, so hopefully not too much controversy there, and we're all on the same page that we're going toward player safety. Yeah, I also I think there's a few other elements to it that have kind of gotten a little bit ignored thus far. Um, it's that on stolen bases, uh, your runners are three inches closer to second base than they were before, which could make a massive difference between safe and out. On a ground ball to short, your throw is three inches less. The first baseman has a three-inch advantage toward you to get the ball in his glove, um, which is a bigger advantage than the batter running to first base because that's still 90 feet. Um, and then the other interesting one is on double plays, that throw from second base to shortstop or shortstop to second, three inches quicker. So while the runner might be getting to second base quicker, that ball is two. So while I don't think it, it may impact too, too much aside from stolen bases, it is it does have player safety in mind. Um, it, it reminds me of those days uh, in, in Little League, you had that orange base to touch running to first base. Um, it's almost as big as those two combined now. So it should keep a lot more players safe. Okay, I like that. Um, and, and you know, two, three inches might sound not, not sound like much, but baseball is a split-second sport, and me and you both know that. Um, it, it really is. Like, you see these replays. It is a split-second. Um, it's, it's an inch. I mean, it's an inch and a half. Uh, not only stealing bases, but I'm thinking more like choppers up the middle um, where you have a bang-bang play at first. They really will make a difference. You're right. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that. Let's move toward, um, let's do the shift first, the defensive shifts being banned. Me and you have talked off the air about this. That's going to be a big deal. That's a huge deal. Um, it's a huge deal. Uh, we've talked in a lot of terms about this. Number one, you got teams like the Rays that shift all the time. I feel like they'll find a way to do something uh, to still continue to shift. Obviously, they'll move over as much as they can. They'll do this, they'll do that. Um, but the bigger thing I've talked to you a couple times about is you got guys like Carlos Correa, who's an excellent defender, and Dansby Swanson, who's a Cub, an excellent defender. I think their highlights will be shown more um, because of the shift being banned. I mean, you have more rate, you have more ground to cover. You can't anticipate before the play as much as you could before. So you got freak athletes like that um, who I think will benefit more so than anything else. Um, and I think even a little bit, if we talk about the extra inning, you got a guy on second. More so in years previous, you, if you had a guy up the middle, um, you would maybe shoot for a home run. Now you just need a base hit up the middle like old-time baseball was before the shift. And I feel like it may uh, hopefully provokes more singles. Um, lefty, obviously, the lefty shift 
in right field um, is taken away as well. But I, like up the middle singles, guy on second base, all you need is single. So that may help is that with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing that it's going to stress is defensive athleticism. Um, and I think off the bat, the Cubs have a huge advantage with Swanson at short and Nico Horner at second. Those are two by-the-trade shortstops who are now playing up the middle. Um, I think we're going to see more more highlights, which is part of what the game has missed. And uh, you look back, you know, 10 years ago, you've got Derek Jeter in the hole making those jump throws night after night. You don't see those anymore because the players are exactly where the ball is going to be hit, you know. Javi Baez could make that play nine times out of ten, but he doesn't get the chance to because he's right where the ball is supposed to be. So we're going to see a lot more athleticism. It's going to advantage teams that have strong defenders up the middle, um, and it's probably going to hurt teams that have you know been rolling out, say, like, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but maybe you got an outfielder playing second, and it hasn't hurt you because he's always in the right spot. Well, maybe now he can't be. So that's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be cool to see how teams like the Rays and the Padres, who shift a ton, adjust to it. Um, But on the other side of things, it's going to help hitters. I think baseball kind of shifted into that three true outcome of strikeout, home run, walk, because guys like, you know, I'll, I'll pick Cubs for examples, Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber hit rockets into shallow right field that are just gobbled up, you know, by Colton Wong or whoever the case may be in the NL Central. Now they can kind of focus on just hitting the ball hard. Cody Bellinger said in an interview, a a sharp ground ball up the middle was a base hit when I was a kid. It was a base hit in high school. It was a base hit in college. It was a base hit in the minor leagues, but it hasn't been a base hit the last couple years. So what do you do? You, you adjust. You use launch angle. You try to hit the ball where nobody else is. Now we're going to go back to that more pure form of baseball. Contact, diving plays, stolen bases. We'll still see some home runs. There's some guys that can whack it. But it's going to be a more pure form of baseball, more entertaining, more balls in play. And according to the pitch clock, it'll be faster, which are all the things baseball's been looking for. That's exactly what they're looking for. They're trying it out. Um, I, I like this one. I think me and you are both on the same page. I think it's good for the game. Um, and maybe for a guy you were looking for before, the first guy that came to mind to me was Mike Moustakis. They tried to hide him at second base, uh, both with the Royals and then a lot with the Reds. They played him at second base, and that man can't move. Um, and I feel like you'd put a shortstop five feet from him so he didn't have to move much. Um, and now if you do something like that, you need to be more mobile. You need to be more athletic at second base. Um, than you used to be. Yeah, for sure. I thought um, on the Cubs side of things, and and this may have been just kind of Joe Madden being Joe Madden, but we've seen Bryant play some innings at second base, Hap, Christopher Morell more recently um, under David Ross, and it's just, you know, you're going to need gold glove caliber second basemen and shortstops for this to not hurt. Um, and at the end of the day, we're just going to see a lot more cool plays sliding up the middle double plays, diving stops, jump throws, spins, all of those that maybe we've seen a little bit less because they've been right where analytics says they're supposed to be, and nine times out of ten, that's where the ball goes. So it'll be fun to see. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see which hitters benefit the most. Um, Kyle Schwarber was the guy who immediately came to mind to me, but I know you said without the shift, you're looking at Jose Ramirez to do big things. Big time. Um, I feel like he flies under the radar. I've said it before in the way that like, he's still hitting 300 cause he's a, he's a good switch hitter. He's one of those guys. He's better from the left side power wise, but he's good both ways. He get it for average from the left side and from the right side. 
Um, so I feel like since his average is always around 290, 300, 305, um, you don't really notice it as much as you notice like a Joey Gallo. Um, but he gets shifted a lot. Mm-hmm. And he hit hard balls in between um, first and second as a lefty. I feel like as a lefty he gets shifted more, obviously more so. Um, and so I, I'm looking for a guy like that. I think he's going to be an MVP candidate again. I hate playing against him uh, 18, 19 times a year, which is changing this year, uh, which is good. Um, I hate playing against him. I wish they would have traded him. He's going to be another thorn in our side uh, because that guy can hit. Yeah, absolutely. I believe is an article done by Fangraphs. Uh, another player that's supposed to benefit a lot is Corey Seager, heavy pole hitter, shortstop for the Rangers, used to be with the Dodgers. Um, I think in 2022 alone, he had 20-something hits taken from him. So he'll be a guy to keep an eye on for sure. You touched on it briefly. We can go to it real quick. Balance schedule. Every team is going to play every team at least for two series, or at least one series per year, two series in their own league. Um, So, for example, the Cubs will play the Braves once there, once here, and the Cubs will play each American League team at least once there or once here and do the alternate the next year. Um, It looks a little bit different, but I think this is good for baseball. You know, Chicago fans are going to get to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna and Aaron Judge a little bit more, um, and I think that's a good thing. I love it. I'm all for it. Uh, We've talked about this before. They made it a thing. Um, I want to see the Padres, uh, teams like that. I, I mean, obviously the Sox have ties with the Padres. They almost signed Machado, wouldn't pay the money. Uh, they had Tatis, they traded him for James Shields, the goat. Um, and I want to see teams like that. So we, we don't like, even like, you know, you usually saw how they used to do is obviously played one division from interleague. Like you play the whole division. Um, and I just don't think that's enough. I, I like how it is. I don't need to see the Tigers 18 times a year. So, like you said, I think it's good for the game. Um, and obviously, me as a fan would be more likely to buy a random game against Padres or the Dodgers than I would the fourth series that we played the Tigers. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I think that's going to be good. I think for TV deals, you know, more people are going to be able to sit at home and watch Mike Trout because he's not going to be playing at 9 p.m. every night in Oakland. So that'll be interesting to watch just the math on that in the past every MLB team would play 76 games against their division 66 against the rest of their league and 20 against the American League so it'd be one division and then one rivalry for us obviously we play your White Sox for four games a season now it's 52 against your division so shrunk 24 games it's 64 against your league so that's about the same and then a rise to 46 in interleague. So you'll be playing at least every team once this season. So that'll be really cool for baseball, and I think it's a step in the right direction. And and for teams trying to knock out seeing their favorite team play in each MLB ballpark, that just got a lot easier. Yeah, 100%. And I think we've talked about a lot here. I think all in all, it's nice to know that the MLB is at least recognizing that they need to speed it up a little bit, they need to change some things. Viewers were down a lot. Um, and they're trying. They're trying a lot they're of listening. things. They're listening. The one thing I'll say, and the blackouts need to go, man. I mean, if you're in it, like, if I know we've talked about it before. If you're in, like, Iowa, I think it was, you get, like, six blackouts because you're close to so many Yeah, teams. you can't see the Cubs, the White Sox, the Twins, the Cardinals, the Royals, um, and there might be another team in there, too, Brewers, yeah. I think. That's just not okay. If you're from no. Iowa – you don't have a team, so you could pick any one of those six. But guess what? You can't watch them. 
Yeah, that's the last thing I think they need to address. Um, people want to watch your game, make it watchable, make it viewable, um, especially for people out there, but especially for young people as well. People in college, I mean, who, who want to buy a season pass, make it affordable and make it make it doable because I, I will bet you if you make it $80, people will still buy it. If you make it $20, that many more people will buy it, will be able to afford it, and I, you will grow the game that way as well. I'm with you there, and I think the balanced schedule is a huge step in the right direction to grow the game because, you know, you're sitting at home, you're watching your Cubs at 120 on a Friday, and all of a sudden you got Mike Trout hitting balls onto Waveland Avenue. You know what? I'm going to try to watch an Angels game. Now maybe you can. Yeah, 100%. The last rule we got to talk about has been the most controversial so far in spring training, pitch clocks. It's something that they've tried out in the minor leagues. They've adopted it into the major leagues. And I believe, I could be wrong because there's a lot of in and outs to it, but it's 15 seconds per pitch with the bases empty. Batters have to step into the box at 8 seconds. If neither happens, it'll be a 1-1 and one count. If the pitcher has a violation, it'll be an 1-0 and o count. If the batter has a violation, it'll be an 0-1 count. Um, in the minor leagues last year, the game shrunk an average 25 minutes from three hours and three minutes in 2021 to two hours and 38 minutes. So they're trying to shrink it from a Titanic long movie to maybe a Marvel movie. Yeah, um, I'm for it in general. And like, I wasn't, you know what it is? I wasn't completely sold on it. Then last year I was watching a White Sox game and Steve Stone said how he was at a minor league game and they had the pitch clock. And um, he said, not you couldn't even tell you couldn't even tell it just felt like the game was a little bit faster otherwise you would not even have noticed at all um i think he said except for one pitch that was a violation of like the fourth inning such a meaningless pitch um didn't matter one bit um so he kind of got me especially on board for that two hours and 40 minutes would be awesome i mean you got your nfl games with a lot more action that take about three hours but your nba games are around two hours two hours and 15 minutes um, sometimes two and a half hours, but I think somewhere in between that two and a half and three hour range is where the MLB wants to be. Uh, once you get over three hours, I think you're in trouble unless it's a postseason game. So I'm for it. Obviously, even this early in spring training, there has been a lot of uh, controversy with it. It started with Manny Machado. Um, he, he had the first violation, um, and then obviously he had the one that ended the game. So it's been back and forth, but in general, I think I support this. Um, and then while you give your take, what would you also think about not doing it in like the ninth inning or something? Yeah, I was just going to say there, there's going to be a time probably in April and it's going to be a, a big division game, maybe a Dodger Padres and there's going to be two strikes and Machado's going to take a little bit too long to get into the box. Strike three Dodgers win. And that's going to cause an uproar. Um, that's not what the rules made for the rules made to just speed up the game. And obviously pitchers and hitters, take their time scuffing the ball, adjusting their batting gloves, taking some swings, looking around. It's going to pick up the pace a little bit. And it's not something that um, I've noticed too, too much while watching. Um, I saw something on Twitter that there was a, do you remember Pedro Baez from the Dodgers? I do. He took forever. They, they did a side-by-side a pitcher from the Royals yesterday in spring training, got a full half inning in between two of Pedro Baez's pitches in the playoffs a few years ago. Oh, my God. That is absolutely insane. So it's going to speed up the game quite a bit, and it, you're going to notice it a lot more early, you know, first, second, third innings. And then once you get into the, the later stages, the leverage situations, 
bullpen players mound visits it might come into the effect a little bit more um but at the end of the day i like it it's supposed to speed up the game make something that fans can watch for longer um i've never thought baseball to be boring but it's the most common complaint from non huge fans like us and this is a step in the right direction to make sure that doesn't happen um I think, you know, we might have a few times where it, it does matter late in games from a pitcher side or a hitter side, but I, I think it is a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, I would agree, and um, it's not going to be in the postseason, but here's the thing. I feel like if you do it all season long, you get that muscle memory in, and even if you take a little bit longer than 15 seconds, especially in the later innings of a postseason game, I feel like in general you'll be in that mode where you're you're getting it, you're throwing it, you're getting it, you're throwing it. Um, and the other thing is you got these flamethrowers that either are starters or come out of the bullpen. If you can't regenerate all that power, I feel like it may also maybe cut down on the strikeouts a little bit as well um, in the way that maybe you throw a mile or two an hour less on a couple pitches and people are able to catch up, make contact. So it may work in that way as well. Yeah, that's what the numbers um, the numbers in the minor leagues actually say that stats like runs per game, batting average, and rate of batters that were hit by a pitch stayed mostly the same. Um, so that's a good thing because they're not trying to, to totally change the game. They're just trying to speed it up a little, and I think the pitch clock is a good way to do that. Um, but th- there are some factors if the game gets a lot faster. Um, I think baseball is going to be missing out on some money. You're going to be missing out on some commercials. Um you know, if there's 30 more minutes of a game, there's at least, what, probably 5 to 10 more minutes of commercials you're missing. Um, most stadiums cut off beer sales in, like, the seventh inning. Um, if your game's flying by, you know, that seventh inning comes a lot faster, so they might lose some sales there. But at the end of the day, it's about drawing more fans, and more fans means more money anyway. So I don't think it's going to hurt them too, too much. That's true. That's another good point. That's true as well. But... You know, I think of all these rules, I think they're going to do exactly what MLB and, and former Cubs president and current MLB um, rules expert Theo Epstein is trying to do, and it's supposed to draw a younger fan base, make the game more enjoyable, more watchable, and more fun. And I think these rules rules will do just that. What do you think? I agree. Um, I agree. I, I would say about 80 85% of the rules, the new rules um, last year and this year, I really like. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I, there's a lot that there's a lot to like, um, and I feel like a lot is moving in the right direction. Even if there's still a couple things, you know, that we're not huge fans of. Me too. Can't wait to get to a game with you, man. Can't wait for that sunshine. Yeah, it's coming, baby. It's coming soon. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner. Bob, thank you so much for coming on. As always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill, and you can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and the Cubs HQ website. For Bob, I'm Anthony. Thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.